0: Aren't we on this uh, series of talks uh, from the Bible, little kind of working out what the Bible says? Uh, and we do that every week uh, as part of our church service together. Um, and we've been talking about the Ten Commandments, these ten words that God spoke to his people, the Israelites. Remember, they'd been rescued from Egypt. They'd been slaves and they'd had this miraculous escape. They've gone into the desert to worship God. They have a promise of a land that they're heading to. And then in the desert, God comes near and speaks to them in a powerful way. He tells them they're in relationship with Him, that they are His people. He gives them words about how they will live as God's people, that they're His special possession. And this is how they are to live. And these 10 words that they hear, they actually hear from God. It's an unusual thing. At the end of it, they say to Moses, we can't take any more in the future. After hearing these 10 words, it's so powerful. God's so holy. He's so great. He's so mighty. Uh, would you mind if he spoke with you, Moses? And then you tell us what happens. That's how powerful it was for them. And uh, we've seen, haven't we, that these 10 words, these 10 commandments are about how they're to live with God as his people. They're about how they're to live with each other. And Jesus sums it all up in two quotations from the law. Actually, one from Exodus, one from Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. As yourself. And today we're uh, thinking about the commandment in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. No need to turn to it because we're only going to think about those five words and then go explore them elsewhere. You shall not commit adultery. Firewalls for marriage, we've called it. Now, what I want us to do today is really focus on Jesus' perspective. I want us to let Jesus' words if shape our thinking I want us to hear what he says in the Gospels and kind of approach this subject from there and we can begin to uh, reflect out of that Do listen all the way through we're going to think about Jesus perspective on marriage we're going to think about Jesus perspective on adultery and we're going to think about Jesus perspective on failure all three are equally important so let's begin with Jesus' perspective, what Jesus has to tell us about marriage. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 9. So if you, that's on page 986 of the Bibles. Uh, it should be within arm's reach somewhere or nearby. Verse 3, we're going to start reading. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked to the question, verse 3, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? It's in another part of the law or a part of their traditions. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And then he continues that conversation. So Jesus is answering questions from some people called Pharisees. And Pharisees were at the time part of a whole movement of religious enthusiasts. They had, their hearts were definitely in the right place their great desire their great passion was to see the israel the people of israel getting ready for god they were like everybody in israel were waiting for god to do something Uh, that he had promised to send a king to kind of that his kingdom would come. And different people in Israel, different groups were were aware of this and were trying to kind of get ready for it in different ways. And the Pharisees' idea was if we only keep all the law in all its detail and do all the right things, then uh, the people will be ready for when the Messiah comes. That's the Pharisees. That was their background. And Jesus often fell out with them for different reasons, as you know if you've read the uh, New Testament. Now at the time, some people, not Pharisees, but other religious leaders, well probably not Pharisees anyway, taught that you could divorce your wife for any reason that's why the question is, is it right for divorce for any and every reason? Because there was a school of thinking that said, if your wife kind of, um, and it's all, sorry, because of the culture, it's all about, you know, men and divorcing their wives, because wives couldn't divorce their husbands in that culture. So bear with me, I'm not being sexist, I'm just reflecting where it was at the time. So for example, there was actually, if, if you didn't like the wife's cooking, then you could just say, I divorce you, and that would be okay, and she'd have no right, she'd be out, that was it. And, and, and there were, you know, lots, just simple ways that we could say you know if you didn't like your marriage or you weren't happy with your wife you just divorced her that was the end and some people saying that was okay because that was permitted they said in the old testament law and jesus comes back onto that and his answer is to quote them from genesis from the creation accounts in genesis 1 and genesis 2 and it's an actual quotation you can see it there in the footnotes in the niv that we've got in front of us And Jesus says, look, according to God's word in Genesis, God's purpose for creation still stands. As Jesus stands there at that point in time, he's saying, this is it. This is is important. This is what I'm standing on. This is what I am underlining. Jesus says, as the Lord, Messiah, the King who's come. He even says... Not only that the creation purpose of God still stands in the mind, He even says that the creator, he says. You see that there? He made them male and female. And that's from Genesis 1. Male and female equal in God's image. And then he said, for this reason a man will leave his father. The creator said. Now if you look at Genesis in Genesis 1 it's the whole thing about and God said this remember that and God said that the first day and God said that da, da, da. chapter 2 it's actually the narrator of Genesis says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother join with his wife so Jesus is saying Jesus the Lord we follow is saying what Genesis 2 says is God speaking he might not like that well, we probably like it some people don't but that is what Jesus is saying and that's important because if we're gonna say that our lives our whole understanding of God everything we 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 kind of do and say is focused on Jesus then you've got to be consistent with that not just the things we like about what Jesus said but some of the things that perhaps we find hmm, not sure how that's gonna go Now that's just one point don't run along and make all kinds of conclusions from it I just want us to kind of park that there marriage is important for Jesus he says it's part of how humans are kind of put together it's for Jesus says for male and female there's a unity and a coming together into one flesh he quotes it there it's deep and it's powerful he says God joins them together we heard it at the marriage service at the end of the marriage service it says what God has joined let no one put asunder in the old version Jesus said that they're his words not just nice idea Jesus declares that so that's really important God joins them together and that sex in marriage is a symbol of that sign of that a celebration of that a kind of uh, 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 a kind of working out of that deep belonging to one another and so there's that bond don't break it it's important it's fundamental so don't commit adultery don't break that bond now he does go on to give one reason for divorce he says actually anyone who divorces their wife in verse 9 and i think in our culture we can read it both ways ex, uh, except for sexual immorality that's a greek word called porneia, and we read it a lot it comes up a lot in the new testament we'll come across it today and it meant to jewish people speaking greek at the time it meant sex outside of god's way That's what it meant there'll be more of that later but what jesus is assuming that is if there's been adultery or if there's been a a kind of a breaking of the bond in that way then already it's broken it's over and if a person chooses to which of course they might not do let me just say if a person chooses to divorce for that reason because the the bond is already broken then they're free to do so as I read this passage. So he's saying it's really important, and faithfulness in marriage is really important. And here he's simply following, well, not simply following, the Old Testament prophet Malachi. Um, if you wanted to just check this out, keep a finger uh, in Matthew um, 19, but just in Malachi chapter 2, it's a few pages back, page 961. I'm not going to say a lot about that. This is, let me just say, quite a complicated passage and Hebrew scholars don't quite know how to translate it. So we're just going to pick out some big points. I think it's only fair to say that. Uh, and this, the NIV translates it one way, and it can be translated another way. But the big idea is there. So let's start from verse 13. This is the prophet Malachi speaking to God's people. Um, it, he's one of the last prophets before the silence between, before about 400 years before Jesus came. And uh, in verse 13, he's talking to the people who'd come back from exile and, and had, you know, weren't going right with God. He says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands he's a great old testament prophet malachi he really gets going onto his theme you ask why you wail you weep. why is it god isn't answering our prayers and accepting our worship he said it is because the lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth you have been unfaithful to her though she is your partner the wife of your marriage covenant Now, now that's important a covenant there and then this is a rather obscure bit, but has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And then the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord. That's one of the other translators which Is where it says God says he hates divorce. It's from that passage there. But just picking the bones out of it, what do we see? The issue is broken covenant. It's being unfaithful. And he says, Malachi says, somehow within all of this is this idea that children are meant to be part of a faithful covenant arrangement as well. And we know the effect of broken marriages on children and how hard that can be for us. Many of us know that in our own experiences or our own families. And this is kind of what Malachi is saying to the Israelites. Uh, What they were doing, they seemed to be divorcing their wives and then remarrying kind of pagan or uh, non-jewish wives and and Malachi is coming on very strong about that but his point is you're in covenant relationship you should be faithful to your wives you shouldn't be divorcing them just because you fancy the Moabite women because they're younger or whatever, or they're a bit free or whatever the reason might be Um, he's saying no that's not right And Jesus is kind of picking up on that same idea, really. So Jesus affirms marriage. He affirms marriage, and he seems to me to declare marriage as between men and women. And he's saying sex is at the heart of that, that whole thing. And just to say the Bible is very positive about sex. A whole book, The Song of Solomon, is a poem all about sex. It's an erotic poem. It's an amazing celebration of sexual love. Don't read it now, by the way. Listen to me. (laughs) Well, you can if you like. Um, Or you could go go into 1 Corinthians 7 in the New Testament, which we won't go in right now. But the Christians, this is kind of after Jesus has gone back to heaven, as it were. And the Christians were people becoming Christians from Gentile backgrounds, including Corinth. So they weren't from a Jewish background. They, their culture was very much like ours. The culture didn't acknowledge God. It didn't want to know about Jesus. And in their culture in Corinth, as in Ephesus, as in many of the other Greek Roman cities, sex was kind of everywhere. Their culture, uh, you know, everyone wanted as much sex as they could possibly get with whoever they could get it with. And, and uh, we, we could go into details, but we won't. There's not time. And, and the people in Corinth had asked Paul a question. He said, "Well, should you know, should we not? You know, should we give up on sex altogether?" And Paul's answer in one Corinthians seven is said no. And he tells married couples very specifically, you know, don't deprive one another of sex. He actually says that the husband's body belongs to the wife. How radical is that in the old days that that, uh, that a woman could say to her husband. Actually, your body is mine. he said, your, your body is, is mine. And, and you, you know, they, they shared each other's bodies, so to speak, within that context of marriage. And Paul has said, this is great. He encourages married couples who read his letter or heard it to enjoy sex with one another, not to think this is some disgusting, dreadful thing that you should avoid at all costs. He said, you give your bodies to each other and you don't give them to anyone else. Now, that wasn't the norm in their world at the time, as indeed it isn't the norm in our world on the whole, depending on which part of our world we look at, of course. I mean, the West. Which part of the West it differs, people differ in all kinds of ways. But the thing is, Jesus' people were called, are called to something different. So marriage is from God. He's in it. He's for it. It's precious. It's special. And as God's people... As people who follow Jesus we're to be faithful in our marriages and if we're single we should be faithful for our marriage if we are going to be married to be faithful for marriage and to be faithful within marriage faithful to God for marriage but I must say we need to remember that marriage Sexual fulfillment, having a wonderful kind of personal, clean, shiny family, is not everything. It's not the way to find your true home as a person. Your real identity, your worth, does not consist in whether you're married, single, what it looks like. Your real worth as a person is not there despite everything. It is not being married, having children, is not the ultimate blessing of God. And you know, as a church, as churches in our kind of part of Christianity, we're often guilty of making it look like that is the case. And if we've done that, and if you're single, or, or, or you don't have children, and you've got that impression from our church, we're sorry. It's not right. The single life... Is a, is a good life, it's an honoring life. And, and you know whether you're single or married, that's not where your identity, your security, who you are, where you are, that's not where it comes from. It comes from somewhere else. Marriage is usual, but it's not essential for everyone. Jesus was single, was he somehow less than human? was he fulfilled i would have thought he was the most fulfilled human being that ever walked the planet how could he have been he never got married he didn't have any children he never had sex oh no jesus is an example so we need to make sure that we don't kind of get things a bit distorted We want to follow God's word in affirming marriage and in supporting families. But we also want to affirm the single life too. I don't know if we should have a single maintenance like we had marriage maintenance or whatever. But there's just a sense that we need to be affirming of where we are. Let's move on then. Oh yes, there's more we could say. Sorry, and if you read through that passage, Jesus does go on to talk about singleness, though the language used is a bit strange for us. If you read it through, he talks about eunuchs. For the and you think, oh, it's steady on. That's a bit. That's a bit extreme. But you need to read it. You know, and, and he's talking about you know uh, what uh, people who who are not married or, or who don't have sex. And it's just a phrase he uses. But anyway, you can read that later if you like let's move on to jesus number two jesus perspective on on adultery and here we're going just as uh, tim helpfully took us last week behind the commandment which was you're not to kill to what jesus said about it it went more it was more than just you know striking the blow that takes somebody's life and it's the same with adultery Uh, matthew chapter 5 verse 27 verses 27 to 30 On page 969 sorry you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart again it's written in the language of men women and so on and I think in our culture you can read it it would be the same if a woman looks at a man lustfully she's committed adultery with him in her heart so don't be concerned about that if your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell it's pretty strong language isn't it it's pretty straightforward Jesus here goes to the roots of, adul- of adultery, which he says is something that happens in the heart, he says you 've committed adultery in your heart, so if you start lusting and by lusting, that is desiring someone sexually other than your spouse, then jesus says. It's like committing actual adultery. And it's shocking language. I mean, people must have thought, woo, (laughs) steady on. And then Jesus goes on to say, um, you know, all this stuff about, you know, being radical about the solution. But he's making the point by kind of over, maybe overstating the case that we need to be right on the inside. In our hearts, in our minds, in what drives us, how we are as people. He says it's adultery in the heart, and he suggests radical action. It's uh, this is a picture, isn't it? He's not actually, I'm sure, suggesting that we go and have surgery to resolve our lustful problems. You know, go and have your arm amputated, or anyway, it wouldn't be possible if you gouged out one eye. It's not only one eye that would see. What would you do with the other one? You see what I mean? He's making a point. He uh, rabbis did it all the time for emphasis. He, he's saying, look. You need to take some action if this is a struggle so let me just say it's not about being attracted to people that's not the issue it's appreciate you know and by that I mean it's not about appreciating a person you might find beautiful it's actually the next step it's what you do with that awareness it's where you go With it in your head, it's the longer look. It's the, hmm, I wonder. It's about that kind of lingering. It's about what's going on inside your head and your heart. Someone said, I know I've said this before, but I think it's good. They say, you can't stop birds flying over your head. But you can stop them building a nest in your hair. And if you've got hair like mine, that's particularly possible. Works for me in other words it's not about you know if you're thinking oh no i'm attracted to people oh i'm an evil sinful person oh no that's terrible that's not that's not what you see saying it's it's kind of where you go with that if you then begin to say okay you start imagining stuff and all that so take practical steps to avoid thinking in those kind of ways don't look too long now it's summer. I can only speak as a man here, and um, maybe women will find the same thing. But, you know, you're driving along. I was driving along yesterday, and out the corner of my eye, there's a young lady, I guess, you know, coming on thing, thing. She's quite kind of skimpily dressed, and I think, no, I'm not going to look there. I remember thinking, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to carry on driving. Not that I'm going to crash or anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's to do with... I'm not going to look there, I'm just going to keep going. Job, very ancient old dude in the Old Testament said once, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes about the way I look at people. In his case, he was obviously attracted to young women, even though he was a very old dude in the Old Testament. And he said, I'm going to make a covenant, I'm not going to look in certain ways. So you lock your computer from certain pathways. If you're looking for images, select don't let every image you know that come up comes up on a certain word you could somebody you know google a very innocent word as i've sometimes found preparing for messages and you know if you haven't got the lock on all kinds of things kind of come up well you can turn it you can tone it down you're not going to use an image in a talk to the young people, or sorry, I'm not getting at youth leaders alone, or for me, that keep with me, you know, a talk on in a talk that's, you know, going to be inappropriate for people over the age of uh, under the age of 15. So, don't look there. It's a simple thing, and you may be thinking, thinking I'm making it trite, but 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 kind of work on it. There are, there are websites like Covenant Eyes that enable you to set up accountability practices. Um, Find them. Beware of threatening intimacies with others. You need to decide on boundaries. Think about work situations and you need to think about it beforehand and make your decision beforehand. Don't think you can make up decisions about sexual barriers, uh, boundaries and and the danger of drifting into uh, intimacies that might end up in in breaking your marriage vows or or, or giving you damage in a sense. Don't think you can kind of make those up on the fly as you go. The chances of you being able to do that uh, are less likely uh, as you're in the middle of the office party or less likely when you're alone in the hotel room. Or even more less likely, if you're or worse, if you're not alone in the bar and you're away from home. Psychotherapist Jean-Claude Jalmay. Anyone Shalmay, anyone read him? Apparently he writes in the Sunday Times. And he's not a Christian, I don't think. Oh he might be, sorry, I've probably given him a bad press. We don't I don't know what his faith is. Anyway, he doesn't write as a Christian writer. He's a secular psychotherapist. He he said this. He talks about grey areas that we kind of excuse that are not grey at all. He says we need to be honest with ourselves about, the, uh, about them. So he lists some. He says like giving your phone number to someone you're attracted to. Seeking their attention. The, he says the innocent lunch date. The deepening friendship that you avoid mentioning to your partner. He talks about digital flirtation. That's when you, you get jumpy about phone notifications or you're changing passwords or you're coding people's names on your phone maybe that's further down the road than perhaps some of us would go but it's uh, worth thinking about playdates with the hot dad or mum on the school run someone's recognized that being being unwise Sorry, uh, being unwise at the office party, fantasizing about someone other than your partner, having a runny bu- a, runny, a running buddy you spend as much time with as your partner. So uh, Jean-Claude Chalmé says, ask yourself, as an emotionally faithful partner, does that really make sense? What is my boundary? So things to be thinking about. And are there ways to positively build good marriage? Well, there are, aren't there? There's lots to read. There are courses you can go on. There is time to talk to your spouse. Just not to let things drift. Remind yourself of what marriage is. That's why, as Andrew and Alice said, yesterday was great, wasn't it? It reminds us, it takes us back to what marriage is all about. It's good to go to weddings and to reflect on them and to go in that spirit. Now, of course, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly. Well, all of this is a bit skimmy, so forgive me for that. But, you know, there's a real danger, isn't there, that we can go looking for sexual fulfillment in areas that take you really right into darkness. And this kind of stuff, it's not real sex. But, and, and you think that that makes it okay because it's not real. but it is real in your heart there you are turned on looking for a sex experience in what nothing really pixels on the screen or a stranger you pay for services or someone you've just met on the on the app that really you've just met them for sex but it isn't nothing it's never just pixels on the screen. Because, and many people have found this the painful way, something spiritual starts eating your heart out from the inside. And Jesus would say, don't go there. Or if you are there, get out of it, cut off that root. Because it is a heart issue. In Matthew 7, verse 21, couple of pages on in fact let's read it um, just to make the point no I've got the wrong that's the wrong reference maybe it's Matthew 17 I'll try one more. I must have left out a digit in my uh, it's not that either it doesn't matter it's the passage where Jesus talks about what comes out of a person's heart defiles them remember that passage and he says, these are the things that come out of a heart. And one of those words, the first word actually is porneia, that word again. That word that, about sex outside of God's parameters. It comes out of our hearts. It gets into our hearts. We face these, these things, but we can work on it. Third thing then, that was Jesus' perspective on adultery. What about Jesus' perspective on failure? Let's look at John chapter 8. Very well-known account, but it's uh, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, actually. It was a bit unfortunate because the NIV suggested it shouldn't be there in that place because it's in little uh, italics, John 8. Before I go into it, um, the, pa- the reason it's in italics in the NIV is that most experts do believe that Jesus said these words. They're just not sure that it should be here in John's Gospel. There are other possible places in, the, in Luke and other places. Uh, there's no kind of... Well, obviously, as far as we know about any of the, the New Testament, you know, there's good evidence to believe Jesus, this happened and was reported accurately. And in any event, everything we're going to read about is entirely consistent with everything else Jesus ever said or did. So let's just look at that passage. So don't be put off by the very small type and the italics in the NIV. Uh, at the beginning of John 8, on page 1073. Sorry, I didn't give you the page number. Verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him. And he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law moses commanded us to stone such women now what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him Reason, reason for that, by the way, is uh, that he'd be—he it it wouldn't work, work both ways because it was actually illegal for the Jews to execute anyone. It was Roman law. The only person allowed to execute was the Roman governor. That's why there was all this thing at the crucifixion where they had to get permission. You know, they couldn't have just stoned Jesus because they thought he, they wanted rid of him. It had to be done through the right channels. So, of course, if Jesus had encouraged them and said, yes, that's what the law says, and they started stoning her, then he would have been in trouble for that. And, of course, if he said, no, it's fine, then he, they could have said, oh, you don't keep the law. So, it was a very kind of clever trap, really. They'd come to trap him. But Jesus, he's great. He's my hero. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger and when they kept questioning him he straightened up and said to him said to them any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only jesus was left with the woman still standing there Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What an amazing picture. It's dawn, verse 2 tells us. Obviously, there's a prearranged, uh, people are going to meet Jesus to hear him talk. People have come out early to hear him teach. And it's kind of hijacked by religious experts wanting to ask him about the law. And it's a spectacular hijack, isn't it? You can't get better. If you want to hijack, if you want to, you know, um, interrupt a meeting or heckle someone, dragging someone in and putting them there. I mean, it was spectacular at every level. It was incredible, really. They bring this woman they say she was committing adultery they actually say she was actually in the act of committing adultery i don't know whether someone raided her home and arrested her or it was part of a sting or whatever but it's a big point Of course, they've not brought the man along as well (laughs) well they wouldn't would they the law says she should be stoned they say what do you say jesus says nothing writes in the sand it's on this just writing down he would have stooped down. They're all standing there. He's writing, and they would have been carrying on asking him questions. Questions. They might have been, "Oh, yeah, but you know, Jesus, but Rabbi so and so says this, and Rabbi so and so says this, and and it says in the law that, and what about this thing here, and 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 this woman, we actually, you know, she was pretty much in bed with the bloke when we got there, and yeah, but he's just writing down, and then he stops writing. He looks up and says, "Okay, well." If you're the one that's not got any sin you stop and he carries on writing down powerful isn't it they all go interesting from the oldest to the youngest I don't know perhaps the old guys were more, had more sins that they were aware of they'd had a lifetime of it whereas the younger ones didn't maybe the younger ones had a less sensitive conscience we don't know wouldn't it be great to know what Jesus wrote in the sand we don't know would be great maybe he wrote well i don't know what he wrote i'm not even going to speculate other than say whatever it was that he wrote left them feeling i've got no right to throw a stone at this woman and jesus then tells the woman he doesn't condemn her now he's the only one left there he's the only one who is without sin he's the only one who could condemn her and he says I'm not going to condemn you. Instead, he encourages her to leave that sin behind her and live a different kind of life. You see, sin condemns us. Or we condemn ourselves, don't we? Or we remember stuff that people have said or whatever or things. Or, and we think, I can't go back from that now. You know, like the prodigal son. Remember him? You know, the story Jesus told I can't go back. I'll never be a son again. Maybe he'll let me back on the staff, but he'll never gonna. He's never gonna let me back. And you know the answer, know the story, because as he's in the distance, the father runs towards him and just welcomes him. Doesn't even let him get, get out his speech of "I'm really sorry" and whatever. And you know the father has exposed himself to absolute shame in doing that for a, an old man of high status in a um, galilean village to run at all was shocking men of that status you don't run anywhere not once you have and people there's a book by ken bailey who talks all about this and ken bailey he's with the lord now but he spent a lifetime with um uh, rural people in israel and palestine and that area so And he talked to a lot of them about this. And their practices have been the same for centuries in in these social things. And a man would never have done that. Sorry, I'm going off on a sidetrack. So people who say that, that the prodigal son doesn't have any kind of suffering in it or any atonement need to think, actually, look at what the father goes through. The father, the, the whole of the village would be outraged. The village would have been waiting for the father to whack his son and throw him out and send him back to where he went. In fact, many in the village would have been very happy to have done it for him. But no, the father welcomes his son back. That's what Jesus does here. One final scripture as we see Jesus' perspective on failure. This isn't the words of Jesus, but you'll see how it's Jesus' perspective on failure, how he is involved with us when we fail sexually um, or we stumble or whatever it is. Again, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, and everything I said about the Corinthians just now applies. You know, their their background, their culture, the life that they, kind of the world they lived in. And this is one of those lists that you often find in the epistles in paul's writings particularly uh, verse 9 and he talks about do you not know he's challenging the um, corinthians to behave differently now they're believers now they're following jesus he's not necessarily expecting everyone in society to behave this way he's saying you're following jesus jesus is your lord this is the way you should be behaving that's the point and he says, "Do not be deceived. Neither the uh, uh, sorry, verse nine. Do, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, sexually immoral—that's that word, porneia—or adulterers, and go on. Nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were." you were justified but rather it's important but there but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the by the Spirit of our God so verse 9 there it is Pornair. that sexually immoral that word again that word that Jesus in the Greek that Jews in the Greek word use as a kind of catch-all for any kind of sex outside of God's best which is marriage and also adulterers. We've been talking about adultery. So in the Corinthian congregation, because it goes on to say, "That's what you were, some of you." So there were people in the church who were adulterers. They had broken faith. They had, you know, let their wives or their husbands down. They had, if you like, broken this commandment. And what does it go on to say? Something has been happened. Something has happened. It says. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. That means set apart for God. You've been justified. That means a not guilty verdict on you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus' perspective on failure. He brings us out and through it into a new place. And that might take time, let me say. And what I've said about acceptance and welcome is all part of that, all part of the time process that it may take. The Holy Spirit in our lives, it so, he's been done it. It's happened in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you remember in the Iraq war, people, people carried, not in the right, yeah, in that big protest, and they've done it ever since. People carry protests around saying, not in my name, don't they? And what that means is, they're you know it's nothing to do with them if it was in my name they said we'd be fully involved and when it says in the name of jesus when we talk about in the name of jesus it's like that it's in my name on my behalf i'm fully involved in it jesus is saying or jesus paul is saying here of jesus jesus has done something and the holy spirit by the spirit of our god has come into their lives bringing change so let's live with jesus perspective on marriage the truth from jesus about marriage let's stay faithful in marriage and be faithful for marriage let's live honestly with jesus truth about adultery let's watch our hearts let's take action to stop it let's invest in our marriages let's be the best we can be as husbands and wives if we're married and let's believe jesus's words the, the promises he makes about failure we can be clean we are not condemned but we're welcomed back to change before i stop i've gone a bit fast there are some huge issues i've kind of whizzed over maybe that you're affected by this well do talk to someone you trust or what, you know, one of them is in the church leadership or In your house group leader or someone if you really want to talk things through do feel free to do so or chat with me and have a coffee or marion myself or whatever it's always good to talk if you're sitting there thinking did he really say that (laughs) you think i've said something heretical or outrageous i probably might have done but i didn't mean to probably so do um you know do if, if you're sitting there thinking did he say that you know do ask me afterwards or sometime or send me an email and we can talk. And then I can you know, put it right if I have said something outrageous or I didn't mean to say. So just, uh, and also to say, as a leadership team or in the various leadership teams, we are thinking about a number of these issues around these areas. So uh, watch out for opportunities to, to talk more and to share more as, as a community as we walk forward together. Thank you. I hand back to Andrew. Thanks.